again uh, after this morning's message. Uh, I think was Brenda Towns in here. I saw her earlier. She was at Sunday school. Okay, uh, Alethea, if you could help with uh, in the back there. I know Brenda was at Sunday school, but uh, not here, and uh, just help with with Becky and Mally. And also, uh, I guess, Chris, you're right there, too. When that time comes and your wife gives you the signal, you can raise the, uh, raise the screen there at any rate. Proverbs chapter in just a moment. In fact, let me pray now if I could. I'll give you that. Father, we thank you for this Mother's Day. And uh, Lord, in the quietness of this moment, we come before you. We thank you for our mothers, for the mothers who are here. I pray you would encourage them. But Lord, also challenge through your word today. Father, we thank you for your word. It's the guide for our lives. It's, as we saw today, the key for us to begin to apprehend what you're doing in the future. But, Lord, in the same way, it instructs us for how we are to live today. And so, Lord, speak to all of us, but especially our mothers in this hour. And may the rest of us glean from your word today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. I'll be reading from uh, Proverbs 14 in just a moment, but the, ma- the name Lopez Lamong may not mean anything to you. Obviously, it's not a household name, but believe it or not, in the early 2000s, at least in certain circles, if you mentioned the name Lopez Lamong, people would be familiar with whom you were speaking about. Lopez uh, grew up in South Sudan and was privileged the opportunity to leave that country that was impoverished and so much hardship to come to the United States of America. And he became a naturalized citizen. But what uh, gave him the opportunity to come to the United States was that Lopez Lamont was an outstanding distance runner. He could run great distances and he was an acclaimed runner. In fact, he was so esteemed because of the type of person he was in his performance that in the 2008 Beijing Olympics in China, he represented the United States of America in the procession at the beginning of the Olympics by being the actual person who carried the U.S. flag into the stadium on that day. In spite of that great accomplishment, he did not win a medal in that particular Olympics, but Lopez Lamont, at least in around 2008 to 2012, became popular for his success here in the United States in meets that were going on throughout the United States. But he really became famous in a negative way for a mistake that he made in 2012. He was running in a regional meet, and this particular meet was a 5,000-meter It wasn't like the 5,000 meter for distance runners that run around trails or through a city. No, this was a meet where you would have to circle the track 12 and a half times to win the race. 
and Lopez set out in a great way in that race. I mean, you can look at video clips of that race, and it looked at times like he literally was running full speed and the other people were merely jogging. The problem was not in that. The problem was he miscounted the number of times he circled the track. And so one lap short, he began to let up at the 11 and a half loop, and you could see he just sort of coasted as if he were getting ready to go through his victory lap. You see, the race was not over. He was ready to receive the acclamation of being a victor, but the race was not concluded. You know, for our mothers here today, we recognize you. We lavish thanks and praise. It's a day to celebrate. Hopefully you'll receive phone calls, you'll receive cards, maybe a gift or gifts, and rightly so, you would be recognized. But I hate to tell you, the preacher today is going to give you some sobering news. The race isn't over. You haven't come to the finish. It's not like Paul says, I've completed my race. If you're alive as a mother today, your children are still living, your grandchildren are living, the task is not complete. Look with me at Proverbs 14, verses 27 through 31. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning people away from the snares of death. And then Proverbs 14, 28, a large population is a king's splendor, but a shortage of people is a ruler's devastation. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. The one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker but the one who is kind to the needy honors him. As we look at this passage here in Proverbs this morning, I want to issue a challenge to the mothers. We're going to look at, at four traits here that you can and should be praying for your children and grandchildren today. You know, Proverbs is one of the more interesting books in all of the Bible. It's a wisdom book, and Throughout Proverbs, you'll see various subjects and biblical wisdom in regard to them. To be honest, there's some parts of Proverbs where you see an entire section that deals in one area. For instance, Proverbs 31, often preached on Mother's Day, speaks of the virtuous woman, and there are verses after verses in that particular chapter that deal with the attributes of a virtuous woman. Yet in other parts of Proverbs, it's a little different. It feels like a shotgun type of thing where it goes one verse and then it, the next verse is speaking about a different subject and the next verse is speaking about a different subject and parts of Proverbs are like that. And to be honest, Proverbs 14 is like this latter part of Scripture. In other words, in this one chapter, the author speaks of integrity, humility, caring for the needs of workers, not mocking, avoiding foolish people, not understanding another's hardship. And that's just in the first 10 verses before we get to the things that we're looking at today. And so as we look at Proverbs chapter 14, there are a number of items of instruction, all of them wise sayings, but sometimes we say, how are they intertwined? How are they connected? 
Well, today, at least in regard to our mothers, as we look at these five verses today, I believe we can clearly see uh, a united purpose in this study. And, and to me, as I was studying that earlier in the week, there are four things that you can and should pray for your child. And you don't want to fail in this duty. I've been recently reading a book titled On That Day, A Definitive Timeline of 911. And the author, William Arkin, speaks about the failures that happened on September 11, 2001. Certain things were not in place that day that could have saved lives. Other things were in place, yet proper protocol was not followed, and that not only cost some individuals' lives, but it easily could have led to something worse. One illustration that he gives about a failure to carry out responsibility knowingly had to do with the succession of the presidency. And he said on 9-1-1-2001, he said no one knew once that second plane hit the second tower, no one knew exactly what was going to happen. And in fact, the one that the brave people took down in southeast Pennsylvania was actually either heading toward the Capitol or the White House. And, and, and what he brought out in this was there's a chain of succession for the presidency and how there needed to be protection and people needed to follow the protocol. And, and he brought out something. I didn't realize that there were 16 chains of succession. In other words, 16 individuals that fall down the line from the president goes down to the vice president, the speaker of the house. And he said out of the 16 individuals who were to be well-versed at what they were to do in this crisis, only one of the 16 actually did what he was supposed to do. Two individuals, he said, were addressed and told to move to the to the. Uh, preordained safe area and they actually declined and went home and watched what was happening on the television. By the grace of God, those individuals were safe, but we see that their negligence could have led really to all-out national chaos. Mothers, our instruction book is the Word of God. And the Word of God is here to equip us to prepare our children for the life that they're to live in this world. And might I add, the same is true for our grandmothers. Just as these leaders were simply to do what they were expected to do, we as Christian mothers and fathers, as believers, we have a responsibility toward the next generation. And specifically, it is in prayer. Now, we know we should be praying. And we also will admit prayer can be difficult. How many times do we sit down and we're ready to spend that time with the Lord and the phone rings or something overheats in the kitchen or something happens? We know how the devil works in those distractions, but we also know that prayer is mandated in Scripture and that there is great fruit that comes through prayer. One thing I've learned and, and I am learning day after day is as my children have left the home, and we're empty nesters, prayer can extend beyond what my verbal instruction could do when they were in the house. And so one of the greatest gifts God has given you, save the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the greatest gift, but along with the word of God, prayer is a gift. 
And, and we should be praying mothers, praying fathers, praying grandmothers, praying grandfathers, praying believers. Today, I want to see four things that you can clearly pray for your child or grandchild. Now, there are many more things you can pray. I'm not in any way saying this is an exhaustive list. But in these five verses, I think we see four clear things. And I've tried to make it simple. There's not a, a typical outline here. I didn't leave a lot of blanks for you to fill in this week. I want it to be something you can put in your book or post somewhere that you can look at as you pray for your children and grandchildren. The first thing we see in our text today is pray that he or she would fear the Lord. Notice what verse 27 says. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, continuous, continuously giving life, turning people away from the snares of death. Now, earlier in the book of Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I think it's around Proverbs 9, verse 10 or so. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so what we should be praying for our children is that they would possess the fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not speaking about a superstitious fear. There are people that go around that think every little mistake that God's like a whack-a-mole, that he's there ready to just pound them for every mistake. Other people that look and they think they're looking up in the heaven and thinking God's going to strike me with lightning if I do this. That's sort of a superstitious type of fear. That's not the type of fear the scripture is speaking about here. The fear about which the writer of Proverbs is speaking is this, an acute awareness of the presence and the power of God, that God indeed is real and that he is powerful. He's all holy, he's all knowing, he's all powerful, and he's greater than we are. You know, as we look at this, we, we begin to ask, how do I know if my child is manifesting the fear of the Lord? I think one of the main tests of that or proofs of that would be this, obedience. Now, we know that our love for God and his love for us should drive our obedience, but I appear, appeal to you also that our fear of the Lord should motivate our obedience. I loved my dad. I wanted my dad's approval and, and so because of my love for him, I wanted to live obediently to what he instructed me. But I'll be honest, I got switched a few times too. And uh, I had the belt a couple of times. And so there was an acknowledgement that, that I needed to live in a particular way, an obedient way. So as we pray that our grandchildren, as we pray that our children have the fear of the Lord, the measure that we'll have is, Lord, is my child obeying your word? Is my grandchild obeying your word? Is he or she living a life that is pleasing to you? If your child or grandchild is not saved, you should be praying fervently day after day, Lord, save him, Lord, save her. Lord, work in his heart. Lord, work in her heart. Mold that heart. But if he or she is a believer, Pray, Lord, may they be obedient to you. You see, there's a reward in the fear of the Lord. It's a fountain of life, but it also turns people away from the snare of death. It turns people away from the uh, 
lure and the power of sin. And so we pray for our children, our grandchildren, that they would fear the Lord. The second thing we can pray for our child, our grandchild, is this, that he or she would find faithful friends. You know, as I shared earlier, this Proverbs or this chapter in Proverbs seems to be all over the place. You know, there's this instruction, you know, demonstrate patience, be generous, fear the Lord. And even in this text of five verses, to be honest, verse 28 seems to be an outlier. We live in a democratic republic. We don't live in a monarchy. The chance of one of our children becoming a king or a queen is really not even minimal. It's nil. There's no chance that's going to happen. But notice what verse 28 says. A large population is a king's splendor, but a shortage of people is a ruler's devastation. Now, that that makes uh, sense. I knew... There was a guy one time here uh, that came to church, and I think he made a world uh, uh, fame. I saw him one time on a syndicated show that he established, he called his own country, and he put his own flag there. The problem was he didn't have anybody that adhered to that other than maybe his daughter or whatever. And so we see what it's saying here. A large population is a king's splendor. Everybody would love to have lots of people under his rule, But a shortage of people eventually is devastating. But how does this apply to us today as a parent or a grandparent? I I was reading one of the commentators in, in Proverbs, a guy named Derek Kidner, and I really liked what he said about it, and it's this. Solitary splendor is self extinguishing. Solitary splendor is self-extinguishing. Let me translate it. A life lived without people to share that life, no matter how great it may seem, is empty. Is empty. Our children need to live lives that are shared with others. But that's not enough. The scripture teaches us that we need to pray that they share their lives with faithful people. God created community, and community is good. You look back in the scripture, so many times when people began to struggle, they isolated themselves. Think of the strategies of Satan when Satan was trying to tempt Adam and Eve. He did so not when they were together, but when they were separated. Jesus, when he was being tormented, but came through it faithfully and without sin. Where was he? The disciples fell asleep and he was alone. We need community. Our children need community, but they need the correct community. And this is very instrumental in our children's and our grandchildren's well-being. The people they hang with are, are integral to whether they grow toward Christ-likeness or not. My mother stands about five foot tall, and I had a little fear of her too when I was young. My mom shared with me, as I got older, a lot of wisdom about why she parented the way that she parented. And I shared this 
a couple of weeks ago at our business meeting, and I've shared it before because I think it's great for parents to hear. But my home was an open home to our friends. I lived in town. It was like Grand Central Station. Every night of the week, if we got our studies done, our friends were hanging at the house. And we just thought, man, this is cool. You know, my dad was a big jokester, and they loved being teased by him. But my mom would serve green Kool-Aid or whatever, and, and our friends would hang out. It was only when I left the home my mom expressed to me why she did it. And if you were at the business meeting, you know. She said, I want to know your friends. And she says, I want to know that your friends know me. So if you're out on a Friday night and they're trying to lead you, lead you astray, they're going to see my friends. The second thing she shared after I was out of the home, which is very true, she said, Rick, there comes a time in parenting, when you lose more influence and friends gain more influence, there comes a time. And so it's important that we pray for our children's, our grandchildren's peers. It's critical. It should be an essential thing that we pray for our children. Do you pray that God would place your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter in the midst of Christian friends. Some of us, we have children, we have grandchildren who have fallen out of the fellowship of the church. Do you pray for the fellowship for your children? I pray that for my children. God, put them in a great church. God, put them where it's preaching. I had a great friend. A lot of y'all know Mario, Mario Huffman good friend of mine, and he had an opportunity to share something with one of my close friends. He called me Friday afterwards, and he said, Rick, I just realized that that friend of yours, he's a believer, but he's been out of the fellowship. And he said, God just convinced me to speak directly to him. You need to get connected in the ministry of the local church. And what a blessing it was for me to hear that. We need to pray that our children will surround themselves with good, strong Christian friends. But there's a third thing. Pray that he or she would live a peaceful life. Boy, what a thing to pray. Lord, make my child a peaceful person. Make my child a patient person. It's very interesting. As we look at verses 29 and 30, we see in verse 30 it speaks about peace. That really is the inward part of the heart. In verse 29 it speaks about patience. That's patience, that's outward comportment in regard to those we deal with. And so we see patience and peace tied together. And it shouldn't surprise us because both patience or long-suffering and peace, they're fruit of the Spirit of God. And so we pray that these two fruit of the Spirit, the peace of God and the patience of God, would dwell within our children, our grandchildren. Verse 29, pray that he would have a disposition, that she would have a disposition that solicits peace. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Do you pray patience and peace for your child, for your grandchild? Some of us, we need to pray it for ourselves. God, make me more patient. Make me less thin-skinned. 
Lord, make me more peaceful. Years ago, we had a young man who attended our church, and at that time, our college ministry was 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 pretty sizable. And this young man was active every Sunday, and he was a part of the Longwood, at that time, Longwood College, now it's Longwood University, soccer team. And one day I was just visiting his home. It was an afternoon, his apartment. And I went to his refrigerator and I saw all of these scriptures on it. He had written them out on index card, had taped them to his refrigerator, and every single one of them dealt with not being quick-tempered and being patient. You see, this guy who was so great all during the week, whenever he got into soccer matches, he would get yellow cards and red cards because he would lose his cool. He realized that he needed patience. He realized that he needed to control his temper. Why do we pray that for our children or grandchildren? Two chapters over. We see a profound verse in regard to this, Proverbs 16 and verse 32. You want to pray power for your child? You want to pray, pray greatness? Look at Proverbs 16, 32. Patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Boy, that's something, isn't it? Patience is better than power in controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Do you pray patience? Do you pray peace to be within your child? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But we look at verse 30 also here in Proverbs chapter 14, our main text. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. That word tranquil just makes us feel good to read about. It's like a Sunday afternoon to us. It's an easiness. But what it's saying here is there's a promise. A tranquil heart is life to the body. It helps us physically, but jealousy is rottenness to the bones. Here we see the first of two antithetical uh, proverbs that we're going to look at. An antithetical proverb will first make a statement, then it will take the converse and prove how that reinforces the truth of the first statement. And so simply put here, he's saying, having a contented heart, a heart that's at peace with oneself, is a good thing, but a discontented and jealous heart is destructive. Dr. Jesse Northcutt was a professor of preaching for a number of years at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I got to know Dr. Northcutt while I was a student there, and to be honest, I got to know him better because he had a very attractive woman who was his secretary who was named Karen. And Dr. Northcutt was a grandfatherly figure. He must have been about 80 years old and he was only teaching part-time, and so for some reason I would go by the office. It was like Karen couldn't leave the office by herself. I would walk her when she finished work. Sometimes when I was there early, uh, I would talk with Dr. Northcutt, and what profound wisdom that he had. If somebody can get the children to move back, maybe. Uh, somebody can just slip out and ask them maybe to move to the uh, to the fellowship hall. Sorry about that. 
may not distract y'all, but it's uh, <laughs> distracting me a little bit. But Dr. Northcutt, as, as wise as he was, what really impressed me with him was his personality, a gentle spirit, never agitated. At that time, there was a lot of controversy going on within the convention, and he was like a steady influence with that. What a great witness it is to be patient, to be peaceful. We need to pray that for our grandchildren. But then there's a fourth thing. Pray that he or she would be a generous person. You know, to be honest, the world in which we live wouldn't often have us pray that for our children. How many times have we prayed, Lord, make my child more generous? What do we pray? Lord, protect them in their travels. Lord, bless them. May that degree lead to that job that they need to get. Lord, help them to make much money. Lord, help them to be wise, to save money. But how often do we pray, Lord, make my child generous? We teach our children, make money, save money. Give, but what about giving our time for charity? God's word says, it is better to give than to receive. Let that soak in. It is better to give than to receive. That's the word of God. Do you want your child to be blessed? Because it says it's more blessed or better to give than to receive. Then pray that he or she would be generous. Years ago, there was a man, his health declined. He lived on Fairgrounds Road. He didn't have a lot. And, and he had a, 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 a financial burden that was on him, a few hundred dollars. And I, I couldn't do it all myself, so I went to a friend. He's not in, in church, but I just went to him. I said, hey, can you help this guy out? And I said, he's hoping to get the money back to us. And, uh, but I put this disclaimer in Proverbs 19, 17 says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. I probably was using the word to try to twist his arm a little bit. Make a long story short, the man with whom the two of us shared the money died shortly thereafter. We were never repaid, but so we lost it, or did we? Because Proverbs 19, 17 says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. I've been blessed. I know that gentleman. He's been blessed. God blessed us, and he blessed our generosity. We need to be practicing generosity in front of our children and teaching that because that's the Christian way. And we need to be praying that our children would be generous in heart and would follow that by being generous in their actions. So we see today four things that we're to pray. Pray our child or grandchild would fear the Lord would live a life in obedience to the Lord, that he or she would find faithful friends and get plugged into a fellowship that will give positive encouragement and influence in their lives. Live a peaceful life, a patient life, a tranquil life that will attract others and will be one that glorifies the Lord and then four, be a generous person. I did not finish the story of Lopez Lamongo, but it ends good. He was so far ahead at that point that even though there was about a five or ten second break where he stopped, 
the crowd, which was not that great, was screaming to him, you have one more lap, and you can look at it online. He looks around like that, and he realizes, uh-oh, I'm not finished, and he still wins the race. What about you, mothers? Maybe you've run for a long time. You're not finished. Maybe you've run well, but you're not finished. May God find us faithful, and may we pray these four things for our children and grandchildren. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, we thank you for its counsel. And I pray for our mothers, our grandmothers, our fathers, our grandfathers, that we would be faithful to pray these things for the next generation. But Lord, may we also model these things. Father, speak through this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God may be speaking to you today.